Hey there. Before we start, just know that this episode contains descriptions of violence in war. Thanks for listening. Previously on The Line. One of the things that's causing their pain is defining their role as a hitman, as an assassin, or a torturer. What was that tertiary thing constantly floating over your head? That civilians were being killed by our chief. Objection. Overruled. If you cannot see that line, there's no way to know which side of it you're on. And uh, I see Eddie laying over on with the knife sitting at his neck. I was kind of shocked at first. I kind of looked around, I was like, who else is seeing this? Mm -hmm. And then like, I kind of stayed at the dude's head like for a few minutes until he died. You didn't stab this kid? No, not at all. And that's, yeah, the complete like, lie that was told. Episode 5. No one confesses on the stand. I am not a huge true crime fan, so I may be the wrong person to ask, but has there ever been photographic evidence in a murder trial more damning than the pictures in the trial of Eddie Gallagher? Are there any other pieces of evidence that tick so many boxes at once? It is a picture in Mosul of Eddie Gallagher, the accused, Tick. In one hand, he's holding a hunting knife, the murder weapon, Tick. And with the other hand is propping up the corpse of the murder victim, that young ISIS prisoner, Tick. It's all allegedly, of course, but still, it's all right there in that photograph. That's the one thing I never denied doing. Like, I'm not, yeah, I did that. Gallagher says, yes, the picture looks bad, but it doesn't mean the soldier died by his hand. The picture, he says, was a dark souvenir. I think that just comes down to mindset. Um, and also, it was a good morning. We had killed a lot of uh, ISIS guys. You're not thinking like, oh, this is wrong or this. <laughs> You're like, yeah, fuck this guy. Like, he was just trying to kill us. Who gives a shit, you know? The main event of the Gallagher trial was the charge of stabbing and killing that young ISIS prisoner. But he's also charged with the memorializing of it, with a photograph, a trophy shot. The DOD's Law of War manual prohibits taking pictures with the corpses of the enemy. There are practical reasons. Mainly images like that make instant propaganda for the enemy. But there have been trophy photos in war as long as there has been photography. Union soldiers on horseback, posing next to piles of the dead. American GIs in World War II hamming it up with the skulls of Japanese soldiers they'd just killed. And it's here, not just the killing, but the keepsaking of the act, where the gulf between those who have been in combat and those who haven't can feel the widest. Well, of course it seems distasteful. Uh, war is fucking way beyond distasteful. This is Mike from SEAL Team 3. You just took somebody's life. You know, like that, that person is now no longer in existence. There's nothing fucking nice about that. At that point, you know, taking a picture of him is, is far less dehumanizing than killing that fucking guy. Mike says he's never taken a trophy photo. But after talking to so many SEALs, I can tell you that it is more common than you might think. And the idea that anyone who has done it would need to explain themselves is, for Mike, beyond the pale. When you take somebody who has lived in a, in a Disney World-esque environment their entire fucking life and, and does not know what 
what real violence and true anger towards somebody is, judging the people that are putting their lives in harm's way to go do a shitty fucking job that's going to fuck with them for the rest of their life, and then you're going to second guess something as benign as taking a fucking picture is, is to me, borders on insulting. Is It's let me do my fucking job. Of course, Gallagher went one unfortunate step further than a picture. He also texted it to a friend, along with what is easily construed as a confession to the crime. Tick. So day one, prosecutor, he shows the yeah. picture that you took with a dead fighter. Yes. And you sent it to your buddy uh, with a text. Good story behind this. Got him with my hunting knife. Yes. I'm just wondering what the experience was sitting in the courtroom thinking, really wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I wish I hadn't have texted that from the get-go. Why did you text it to him? He's one of my best friends. Known each other for since my first platoon. And it was just one of the, it's like a joke, to, like joking back and forth. It's like dark humor. It was a stupid text to send him. I just was like joking around. Um, and yeah, I wish I wouldn't have. Once the trial began, there wasn't much for Gallagher to do, but hope that the jury gets the joke. Funny thing is, that photo doesn't even get talked about that much at the trial. It just kind of hovers over it. A piece of evidence that you can't really contest. It is what it is. And that makes the hill Eddie Gallagher's attorneys have to climb at trial that much steeper. What happens when you look back at that picture now? Are you in a different mindset and can you see? The no, I've, I don't. Well, if I look at the picture now, I don't have any. I still don't have any compassion towards that dead body. What I see now is a two-year nightmare because of that picture that happened to my family. Like, that's what I see in that picture. There's something else you should know. After that ISIS prisoner died that day, Eddie Gallagher wasn't the only one who took a trophy photo with the body. Wasn't even the first. I think boredom kicked in because we were still out there and guys started taking pictures with the body as like, you know, trophy pictures or just messing around. Or like, you know, they're pointing the gun at his face or like holding him up just the same way. And then we took a group photo with him. There are seven men from Alpha Platoon in that group shot. Standing in the back row, kneeling in the front, and lying in the center, a corpse in the dirt. A class photo. Most don't smile, posing instead with a seriousness you'd see back when photos were rare privilege. Just their presence here is the point. The enemy is dead and they're alive, bonded now for life. By all accounts, any bond they felt in that moment began to break down almost immediately, chipped away by regret for the picture and by accusations that any honor implied in their poses is fake, that the prisoner was killed against the rules of war and by the man who was supposed to be leading them all. On today's episode, the men in that photo testify, some against their chief, some in support, and one who at first seemed clear as to which side he was on. And then he opened his mouth on the stand. I'm Dan Taberski. This is The Line. Silence, please. 
Bailiff, see to it. That woman does not interrupt again. This is not a real courtroom scene. It's a TV one, black and white. You may continue, Mr. Mason. Yes, Your Honor. It's Perry Mason, the eponymous show that aired in the 50s and 60s, that in its day came to define how viewers understood just how things went down inside a criminal courtroom. He killed my husband. No, he didn't, Mrs. Reed. You killed your husband. I think you're out of your mind. In Perry Mason world, every trial ends in a surprise. The person you least suspect making a dramatic on-the-stand confession shocking everyone. Seemed forever with that elevator not moving. And it came down, 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 and the doors opened. He saw me and he saw the gun and I, I... She shot him. In the same way that CSI dumbs down forensics, Perry Mason, as good as it was, so oversimplified the criminal trial process that American viewers began to internalize all those things and think that they were true. Some even call it Perry Mason syndrome. So people began trying to represent themselves in court because, hey, I watch Perry Mason, I know how it works, rather than hiring a proper lawyer, like one probably should. And people came to actually think that a person accused of murder is never the one who really did it. And that inevitably, some other witness at the trial, the one you least suspect, is going to stand up and say, I did it. I killed him. But of course, it's not really how it works, right? In real life, no one confesses on the stand. That would be ridiculous. I had originally wanted to go into the JAG Corps when I was on active duty. Um, that didn't work out. I didn't meet their stringent uh, entrance requirements. Tim Parlatore heads up Eddie Gallagher's defense team. He's the one we've been hearing in the courtroom audio. He's a civilian attorney, but turns out he had aspirations to become a military lawyer early in his career. We had many qualified applicants this year, and it was very competitive, and you weren't selected. You know. Huh. Um, yeah. That's interesting. It, it, it is interesting. Because if you're looking for a little poetic justice to go with the courtroom kind, going head-to-head with the JAG Corps in the highest-profile military trial in the last quarter century, it'd be a great way to get it. Good afternoon. Uh, we had a pretty good first day. On most days after court, while the JAGs prepare for the next day, Parlatore talks to the press in the parking lot outside the courthouse. Oh, the, yeah, the witnesses, I mean, look, each one of these witnesses is going to come in and tell their own individual uh, story. And we're going to have to go through each one of them, expose each one of them for lying. Are you concerned that some of them might change their story? Sure. As far as defense attorneys go, Parlatore is the flashier kind in his shirt-tie combos, and in his choice of clients. He has repped mob guys. He has repped mob wives from the VH1 reality show. I'd say Tim Parlatore doesn't mind a little bit of controversy. And here's Exhibit A, his opening statement at the trial. Defense, do you desire to make an opening statement at this time? Yes, Judge. You may. He gets up, he walks over to the jury, and he says this. My Negroes. Craig's done some good work making progress with handling the Diablo situation. It is However, incredibly notable that the first thing you said to the jury was, my Negroes. <laughs> and you said it in the, in the context of quoting a text, but you, Correct. You, you say it very loud. What was behind that, that choice? Because you didn't have to choose that text. It could have been any text. 
I wanted to right off the bat grab the jury's attention. Yeah, the prosecution has just told you a story, a rather clinical story, but I want you to understand who their witnesses are. The person that comes in and is in their you know dress white uniform and all prim and proper and yes sir no sir. Let's start off to see what these guys are like when they're not being watched, how they're really talking to one another, and what they're talking to each other about. He's talking about the sewing circle, the gnome de WhatsApp for the group of SEALs in Alpha Platoon who pursued the allegations most doggedly. When this all began, none of them thought their accusations would turn into an actual war crimes trial for murder. An internal review, perhaps. Gallagher being removed as chief? Maybe. But the very public circus it had become, no way. And actually, you could say the same for the prosecution. Their lead up to the trial was hardly masterful. In fact, the judge had just shit-canned the lead prosecutor for alleged misconduct, leaving the underlings just two weeks to prepare the case on their own. No one on the team had ever even tried a war crimes case. Now, at trial, all eyes are on the men who were there that day, in Mosul. We will hear the testimony from four of them. Pretty much the entire case, hinging on what they are about to say on the stand. Their testimonial evidence. And that is in no small part because the physical evidence of the crime is so underwhelming. We have two crime scenes. Ron Martinelli was the lead forensics expert on the prosecution side. So one is the physical location and environment where this murder takes place. That's the compound where the SEALs were that day and where the prisoner died. A crime scene in the middle of a war zone. Investigators didn't even make it there until 16 months after the alleged crime. Pretty much pointless by then. And the second one is the guy. The body itself is a crime scene. Now, what's, what's the big challenge? The big challenge is we didn't have a body. We didn't have an autopsy. Yeah. And by the way, that body stayed around for five days. Holy smokes. Yeah, they just took it and they drug it off to another part of the compound. And there's no record of where the body went. No. So we had, you know, no autopsies, no victims, no nothing. But there is an alleged murder weapon, Gallagher's knife, custom made with a three-inch fixed blade, the one on display in Gallagher's trophy shot. They did a forensic examination of the of the knife and the sheath. They found no blood. You know, there's no traces of blood. Well, they did if find DNA. Middle Eastern descent, brown hair, black eyes, fair skin, no freckles. They, they found skin cells. All that says is that somebody of Middle Eastern descent touched the knife. Uh, which, by the way, is everybody that Chief Gallagher was working with on that deployment. Our partner force, the Iraqi ERD that the SEALs were fighting with, presumably they're all Middle Eastern. The skin cell DNA on that knife could have come from any of them. So no usable DNA evidence, no body, no autopsy. None of the science that might help us connect the dots in a regular murder trial. But what they do have is photographic evidence, pictures from the crime scene. To set up this piece of evidence, the prosecution calls a SEAL who was at the scene of the crime. If you'd call your next witness. Thank you, Your Honor. The government calls SO1 Byrne. SO1 Byrne was one of the medics in the platoon. Mosul was Byrne's first combat deployment. In fact, Gallagher says Byrne was the only SEAL in the platoon he had handpicked himself. Please raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth and the hearing now pending? So help you God. Thank you. Please be seated. 
In that group trophy photo, Byrne is positioned right in front, on one knee, next to Chief Gallagher and the body. Now, Byrne is testifying against his chief about what happened before that photo was taken, when he helped Gallagher treat the ISIS prisoner when he was brought in, wounded but alive. Can you describe the uh, condition uh, as you witnessed it of the ISIS detainee uh, when you saw him brought into your compound? Sure. The detainee was uh, seemed in and out of consciousness, but he was having definitely having uh, respiratory distress at the time. At first, it's Byrne and Gallagher working on the prisoner. They think he has blast lung from the airstrike he had escaped from, making it hard to breathe. So Gallagher does a crack, a breathing tube inserted into an incision in the throat. Did you witness Chief Gallagher perform the crack upon the patient? Uh, I did witness that. They do a lot of medical procedures, actually. Byrne says they inject him with ketamine, a sedative. They do a crack. They do needle decompressions to relieve pressure in his chest cavity. And they do a chest tube. Who was directing the particular medical treatments you've described so far? Uh, Chief Gallagher's was the lead medic on scene. After a few minutes, and after another platoon medic arrives to help out, that's when Byrne says that he steps away from the scene. Did you check his condition uh, at all prior to departing the scene? I noticed there was uh, condensation in the, in the chest tube. What did that indicate to you? That the patient was alive. How long were you away from the patient? say between 10 and 15 minutes. And what did you see when you came back to that patient? Um, the patient was no longer alive. So there's our window. It's in those few minutes where that prisoner either died from the wounds he came in with or was murdered by someone there on the scene. This here is where the crime scene pics come in. Images taken from a SEAL's helmet cam just after the prisoner died. Uh, if you can move your monitor SO1 burn back. Uh, do you recognize this photograph? I do, yes. In one shot, the body is splayed out in a T-shape in the sand. Brown pants, black tank top, eyes closed. In another shot, there's actually a hand reaching in, checking for a pulse. But in these images, you can also see all the medical gack attached to and around the body. Needles, tubes, wrappers, evidence that allows the prosecution to see and account for all the procedures that were performed on that prisoner. And there's two things in the picture that can't be accounted for. That SO1 Burns says weren't there when he left, but were there when he returned to a dead prisoner. First, blood. There's blood spatter on the right shoulder and going down the arm, and a pool of blood below him seeping into the ground. And second, a combat bandage on the right side of the neck, covering a place where no procedure had been done and exactly the place where Gallagher is accused of stabbing him. So what's under the bandage? Stab wounds created by Gallagher and his knife and then covered up to hide the deed? Unfortunately, you can't peek under the bandage in a picture. Someone would have to have had to see underneath it in the moment. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to the hearing now pending, so hope you got I do. Thank you, Staff Sergeant. Please be seated. Thanks, sir. My name is Giorgio Curlo. I'm a Staff Sergeant in the Marine Corps. I'm stationed at 1st Marine Raider Support Battalion, Camp Pendleton, California. Good afternoon, Staff Sergeant. 
afternoon, sir. Marine Staff Sergeant Gio Carrillo is not a SEAL, but he was attached to the platoon. He was their intelligence guy. Carrillo says he didn't particularly like Chief Gallagher when they were in Mosul. But when the charges came up, he sided with Eddie. Do you see a picture on your screen there? How about now? That is me. Okay. It was Carrillo who was the first to pose for a trophy shot with the body. A dubious distinction, for sure, but one that might have given him an up-close look at the body right after the death, including that bandage on the corpse's neck. Tim Parlatore questions him about it on the stand. Now, what did you do before taking the picture of this guy? I was fairly strong at the time, and I just wanted to see how heavy he was. I lifted him up by his hair, about six or eight inches off the ground. Um, not all the way up off the ground, but just the, the top of his body. Did you see anything when you did that? I did. I saw a whole bunch of holes in this guy from a tube in his side. It um, looked like a tube in his right side and uh, his crike. What about that bandage? The bandage uh, lifted up and stayed stuck to his shirt when I picked him up. And I looked all the way... I looked all the way down this man's neck, and I didn't see anything. There was no stab wounds under there? Not a single one. It's certainly a convenient piece of testimony. If I were the prosecution, I'd be asking why he happened to register that detail in his brain in the first place. Especially since when he took that pick, as far as he knew, no one was accusing anyone of anything. He would have no reason to notice stab wounds or a lack of them. The prosecution never gets a good answer on that. In fact, they never even ask. But they do bring up another piece of evidence that is less convenient for Carrillo. Audio evidence, again from the helmet cam video, this time from when the detainee was still alive and Gallagher was about to treat him. I'm going to play another clip. And so I'm now playing prosecution exhibit 16 at 36 seconds. Hey, he's about to put him out, dude. Yeah. And that was you that said, Eddie's about to put him out, dude. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. Eddie's about to put him out, dude. That is what he says as they're hovering over the ISIS fighter. Does it mean Eddie's about to put him out as in give him a sedative? Or Eddie's about to put him out as in kill him? The jury never finds out because the prosecution never asks that question either. Prosecution's never able to make much hay out of physical or photographic evidence at all. So in the end, the case hinges on eyewitness testimony. The two SEALs who told investigators that they saw Gallagher stab that prisoner with their own eyes. SO1 Corey Scott, the other platoon medic who helped treat the detainee before he died, and SOC Craig Miller. Craig Miller was Chief Gallagher's number two in the platoon. They called him the sheriff because he was so by the book. And it runs in the family. His father was a SEAL as well. If the sewing circle had a leader, it was Miller. He was the one who pushed the accusations the hardest when they were getting Heismaned by the leadership at the teams who didn't want to hear it. I looked down. When NCIS finally jumped on the case and investigated, you will remember that Miller's recorded statement was the most raw, for sure. The most nerve-wracked. And, uh... I see Eddie laying over on with the knife sitting under his neck. 
as he described walking onto the scene and seeing Gallagher stab that prisoner. And I remember thinking, like, man, Eddie, if he, if he knows that I know this, you know. But a seal showing that much emotion, it also made him a target. Eddie's wife, Andrea, who had seen the video as part of trial prep, was trolling Miller on Instagram about it just the week before the trial, even before jury selection, calling him crying SOC Miller, along with that meme of James Vanderbeek ugly crying in Dawson's Creek. Welcome back. We continue with the government's case. Government, you may proceed. Thank you, Your Honor. The government calls SOC Craig Miller. Remember, Miller is a government witness. So when the prosecution begins their questioning, this is the easy part. Or should be. Do you recall approximately how far away you were from the detainee? You mean when I walked around it, around the Humvee? That's right. Uh, How close I got to the scene or how, uh, how far I was away when I noticed, I guess. At even the simplest part of the story that Miller has to tell, how close were you to what happened? He and the prosecution just can't seem to get it out. Can you describe, uh, perhaps in relation to the judges, the military judges' bench? Right. It'd probably be close to that right corner right there, the one on the right. That's probably about right. The right corner where the the bench angles off back towards the wall? How far is that? Maybe 15, 12? Do we we have measurements, Your Honor? No, why don't you estimate for the record, please? Chief, uh, you might have a better sense of distance than I do. You could blame nerves, but you could also blame the prosecution. They met with Miller several times. He's supposed to be a star witness. But even at the pivotal part, Miller's eyewitness testimony of seeing that stabbing. How many times did you see Chief Gallagher stab that detainee? I want to say twice. I want to say twice. If you were on this jury, would you have the certainty to put a man in jail for life for stabbing someone, I want to say twice? When Tim Parlatore gets his turn, it just gets worse for Miller. Good afternoon. You and I haven't met before, have we? Uh, No, sir. How many times have you met with these prosecutors prior to today? How many times have I met with... The prosecution team? Several times. Can you ballpark it? Ten times? No. Six? I'm not sure exactly. More than six? I don't think so. More than four? I don't know. When was the last time you met with the prosecutors? Before today? Well, it was the last week. What about the time before that? How long ago? It's a while ago. I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly. Two months ago? Six months ago? When? Can I ask you a question? No. Technically, that's not how it's supposed to work. Miller is on the stand for three and a half hours. Okay. So after you say that you saw... Your chief stabbed this ISIS fighter. You went into the building to find Lieutenant Portier. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And you told <laughs> Lieutenant Portier what you had seen, right? Yes. And you told him well, we need... I told him what had happened. I know that. Well, what's the difference between what happened and what you had seen? Because if what I'd seen maybe would have been a lot. I don't, I don't know. I just don't want to answer it wrongly, I guess. I want to answer it the right way, to be honest. What, what the jury wants to hear is the truth. It's hard to imagine that the jury saw Miller's testimony as anything but a wash, putting that much more pressure on the prosecution's remaining eyewitness to the alleged stabbing, platoon medic SO1 Corey Scott. 
Um, we never thought in a million years that he would sacrifice nearly two decades of his life to the war on terror. When Tim Parlatore talks to the press after court, Andrea Gallagher is usually standing right beside him. Our family would let him go on eight combat deployments and at the very last deployment that now he'd be persecuted, not just prosecuted, but persecuted by his own government. Andrea Gallagher did not play the long-suffering wife in the story of this trial, in the way that she spoke and in the way that she looked when she showed up to the court every day. I mean, look, first of all, I love fashion. Anyone that knows me can tell you. I, I love style, I love fashion, and um, I'm also being photographed by 50 cameras. And I do think the way you project to the world makes a difference. I also am not going to show up there like a victim. I'm not a victim. I realize it's weird that when a woman finally shows up in this sausage fest of a series, we start talking about her appearance, but hear me out. Each day she walks up to the courthouse like she's Heather Locklear in Melrose Place. And no, I don't care how old that reference is, it fits. She likes bright red jumpsuits and big, bold necklaces framed by platinum blonde hair. She looks like winning is a foregone conclusion. It's a little bit defiant. It is. We are very defiant, both Eddie and I. And that is why it sticks out. That on day four of the trial, Andrea goes the other way. A pink floral dress. Less the boss, more wife and mother. Here's Eddie. On day four uh, of the trial, you bring your kids to court for the first time. Yeah, and that was on their own request. Um, but day four was also a pretty pivotal moment in the trial. We had no idea that was coming on day four either. Get out of here. No, not one bit. Like, I had a feeling that he was going to say something, like, I guess helpful in my case. Day four is the day that Corey Scott, the other platoon medic who helped treat that ISIS prisoner, is scheduled to testify against Gallagher. Gallagher's attorney, Tim Parlatore. So what did you know when you walked into court that day? What did you think was going to happen? I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I wasn't even sure he was going to testify. So here's what's going on. For months, Corey Scott's attorney had been negotiating over the details of Scott's testimonial immunity, saying that Scott wouldn't get on the stand unless he was assured that he could not be prosecuted for anything he testified to under oath. The judge actually ordered brig chasers. If he did not testify, they were going to put him immediately into a van and take him to the brig. They were standing by for it. In that trophy photo of the platoon and the body, Corey Scott is the last on the right, in the back row. He's not posing with a weapon like some of the others. His hands are stuffed in his pockets. He's a bit detached for the moment. But maybe that's just me. Reading on his face in that picture what I know now. What he is about to do on the stand at trial. What he is about to say. Scott is there to testify against Gallagher. And his statement to NCIS the previous year was pretty definitive. Here is some of what he said. And then all of a sudden, he just starts stabbing the dude. It's just like a stab about right here, just in a few times. Your point is like the base of your neck, right? Where yeah, the base shoulder. of the neck, like going down into the neck lungs. Is there any possible way that what he was doing could be interpreted as for medical purposes to help this guy? No. As for what we expect to hear now, 
Well, a couple of weeks before the trial, the prosecution's forensics guy recreated the crime scene in an office. All the medical equipment, a prop knife, even a stand-in for the prisoner himself lying on the floor. He then brought in both Craig Miller and Corey Scott separately to discuss and reenact what they saw that day in Mosul. He and Miller, their statements were fairly close to being identical. They both identified the knife. They both held the knife in the same hand. They both went into a kneeling position next to the victim, and they both repeatedly stabbed the victim in the, in the neck, okay, the exact same way. So you know, hmm. you know you got something seriously going on. That was just a few weeks ago. So you would expect that his testimony today would be pretty similar. That's what you'd expect. SO1, will you please state your full name, spelling your last? Corey Nolan Scott. Last name is S-C-O-T-T. Uh, SO1 Scott, are you testifying under a grant of testimonial immunity today? Yes. Does your grant of testimonial immunity allow you to lie here on the stand? No, it does not. And it becomes clear pretty quickly that something is up. Remember, he's a witness for the prosecution. Who are the two other medics on the scene? Chief Gallagher and SO1 Byrne. And what treatments uh, had, had you witnessed as you walked up? I don't remember what treatments had been done when I got there or what was done after I got there. It's a basic question that he should have an answer to. We're looking at a transcript from your interview with NCIS help refresh your recollection with regard to this point of what treatments had been completed. It's possible. You have permission to approach me? <clears throat> Scott reads the transcripts of his own words from a year before. It's what the prosecutor is fishing for him to say. So once Scott has that refreshed your recollection, it's a, the state of the treatments that have been done at the point in which you approached? Not really. And this keeps happening. Scott says he can't remember something. The prosecutor offers to let him read the actual transcript of what he had said previously. Would your previous statement that you give given to NCIS possibly help refresh your recollection. Okay. Scott reads his own words, and then... You still don't remember? No. Okay. Scott is least resistant on the stand when he is describing his role in treating the prisoner when he arrived. Okay. And what did you do um, in particular once you got there? Since I got there, since the other medics had the scene under control, I a position near the patient's head, and then I monitored his breathing. How did you monitor his breathing? I would hold my thumb near the top of his mouth, and then once he had a crack, hold it over the top of the crack and feel the breath. What did you do next? I do next, I stayed at the scene until the ISIS fighter asphyxiated. When it's Tim Parlatore's turn to question him, SO1 Scott, the reluctant witness, magically disappears. You said that during the unit level training, that Chief Gallagher was very focused on preparing for war. Is that right? Yes. He was very driven? Yes. Did certain members of the platoon not like that? Yes. Craig Miller? Yes. Dalton Tolbert? Yes. Dylan DeLay? Yes. Did they make clear before you even deployed that they didn't like Chief Gallagher? Yes. 
Did that hatred of Chief Gallagher continue throughout the deployment? Yes. Did they take opportunities to tell other people in the platoon how much they didn't like Chief Gallagher? Yes. As the questioning goes on, it becomes clear that Parlatore is working towards something. If he wasn't wearing a suit jacket right now, he'd be rolling up his sleeves. You're a medic, right? Yes. Okay. It's pretty extensive training, right? Yes. You're very well versed in uh, medicine, aren't you? Yes. And then he zeroes in on the target. Use an interesting word. You said you watched him until he asphyxiated. Yes. Asphyxiated is a combat medic. That means somebody who is deprived of oxygen, doesn't it? Yes. Why is that an interesting word? Asphyxiate doesn't mean he just stopped breathing. It means he was deprived of it. Uh, So it's a suffocation. Uh, And Corey Scott is a medic, so he knows what the word means. Why'd you use that word? That was what killed him. You didn't say that Chief Gallagher suffocated him, did you? No. Craig Miller suffocated him? No. Did you suffocate him? Yes. How? All the things that happen figuratively when something shocking occurs, by all accounts, happened literally in the courtroom at that moment. When Navy SEAL Corey Scott confessed that he is the one who killed that young ISIS prisoner, not his chief, Eddie Gallagher. Jaws really did drop. Eyeballs really did bug right out of their heads. Waiting to hear the only thing that everyone in that room wanted to hear at that moment. For Corey Scott to explain how and why so the jury could decide for themselves whether this entirely new narrative of what happened in Mosul that day that was just dropped on their heads like a safe was even to be believed at all. Next time, on the final episode of The Line. You didn't expect him to say that? No, not one bit. I don't know what Corey Scott saw, what he thinks he saw, but just because somebody's not lying doesn't necessarily mean they're telling the truth. And so you can stand up there and you can lie. Objection. Argumentative. Overruled. You can lie about how the fact that you killed the ISIS prisoner because you don't want you to go to jail. Suddenly we get word and they're like, hey, they reached a verdict. And that's when you're like, fuck. How many Navy SEALs do you think are crying over dead terrorists? Including Eddie. Did you ever tell the leadership what you're telling me now? No, I didn't talk about it. I knew to keep my mouth shut. The Line is an Apple original podcast produced by Jigsaw Productions. Our producer is Lizzie Jacobs. Investigative producer Diane Hodson. Jody Avergan is our editor. Maria Luisa Tucker and David Iverson are our associate producers. Emily Van Blarkham is our production assistant. And Natsumi Ajisaka did our fact-checking. Rick Kwan is our engineer. And our original music is from Mark Orton and John Hancock, with additional music from Jeff Baxter and Eric Phillips. The Line is executive produced and written by me, Dan Taberski. For Jigsaw Productions, executive producers are Brad E. Bear, Stacey Offman, Richard Perillo, Joey Mara, and Alex Gibney. 
The supervising producer is Whitney Johnson. Our consulting producers are Annie Allen and Jeff Zimbalist. The team also includes Andrew Hafner, Jade Lewis, and Eric Mitten. Our interns are Olivia Butler, Zara Khan, Sarah Feynman, and Lily Levy Epstein. Legal services provided by J. Ward Brown at Ballard's Bar. Rachel Van Landingham is our consultant on military law. Thanks to the folks at Final Final V2. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And a special thank you to the special operators who shared their stories for this project.